Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of the Transform Your Game podcast. My name is Richard, and I'll be your host and moderator. One of my uh, three co-hosts will be joining me today. Kent, give the people a quick hello. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Now, normally on this program, we plan to cover spoilers and news, discuss strategy and other important topics. However, today is a little different. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with the brand manager for the Transformers TCG over at WotC, Drew Nolasco. How are you today, Drew? I am doing great. Hello, fans, and uh, thank you for having me on the show, guys. Thanks for coming. Um, now, I figure we just dive straight into the questions because, you know, we're so curious at this point, right in the middle yes. of spoiler season. <laughs> Give me questions. <laughs> Kent, why don't you start us off? Uh, yeah, so just some general questions and then uh, specific ones about Titan Master's attack. Um, so the first question, do you think that there are any bots, battle cards, or strategies that deserve another look from the competitive community? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's also a really difficult question to, to to answer fully, fully and truly inside the middle of spoiler season. So the next mm. time on your show, let's ask this question again, and <laughs> um, and go back to it. But just just generally, I will say um, the community has uh, is do does a really good job of sussing out uh, good strategies. There, there are a few strategies that we um, that we thought may have been a little bit stronger in in our testing um certainly we we were able to to test um um trypticon decks to you know and and have them come out as as more playable than the community has found that proven to be sometimes we're wrong right and if we're wrong and off by 15 percent, that that has a, a huge effect in in relevance in the metagame um i think that there's uh, there's a, there was a lot of good deck design going into the John Invitational. We were super happy with the diversity of decks. Um, so let, let's revisit this once all of Wave 5 is spoiled. Awesome. Seems good to me. Cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of Energon Invitational, it's funny you mentioned that. It's a great segue. Um, uh, some, there was a somewhat big stink made by a couple of players, uh, particularly like originally after or right in the middle of it, about um, – Sealed, in particular, as a format. I know design is pretty stalwart in their advocacy for it as a piece of the competitive metagame. I actually agree with that opinion. Um, but that said, have you guys as a unit like explored if there are other ways to improve Sealed as a format for Transformers specifically without yeah. sacrificing too much? So we absolutely do. Um, limited formats are pretty integral to the health of any trading card game, like from the, from the business point of view, because that's, as the global brand manager, that is... <laughs> my primary responsibility. Um, uh, limited formats are really important. They do a lot of really beneficial things. So um, I, I, you guys know this. I know this. Most of your listeners know this. Um, why, why limited formats are, are positive and have a net positive effect on the game. But they have to actually function really well, right? And um, for that to be true. And so when players are unhappy with Sealed, yes, we absolutely go and, and take look at other issues. And I think, I think you put it right. I think more people were happy or neutral by far than people who are unhappy. But I really look at is the people who are unhappy versus the people who are happy. Like the neutral uncommitted crew, like great. But someone who's take it or leave it, we can still probably improve. 
And so, yes, we do we do a lot of, of this, um, Ken Nagel in particular. And one of the ways that we look at this is the frequency that cards show up in packs and what kind of cards are more common or less common in packs. Yeah. We want, we want there to be fewer crazy blowouts. Um, and we want there to be lots of meaningful choice in deck building. Um, mm. I think in sealed, Titan Master's Attack is actually really good for, for limited. Uh, you get additional customization options through the head body um, uh, combinations that are that are available on average you'll get three heads and three bodies in a, um, a six pack sealed right so that gives that gives you some additional choices and that that was one of the things that um, uh, we like a lot we we like when there's a lot of, of good uh, decisions about characters on your team in limited uh, I think the thing that people who are least happy with with limited right now are, are not as unhappy with like limited in a bubble so it's like like if you just put them down at the table and it's like hey we're gonna play sealed four of us are gonna get together and do six pack sealed they're like great um it's when it's in a competitive format and it really has mm-hmm. to do with with uh levels of perceived randomness and whether or not they're what the role of 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 this perceived randomness is in determining a competitive winner and th- there's always going to be some randomness in a trading card game. It's it's kind of inherent in the system that it provides variance. So, like, people have lost competitive games in Magic and other systems and other games I've worked on at the highest levels because they just didn't draw any of the right card that they needed. Like, it happens. Right. Yep. Uh, and so what we're looking at is um, to improve the experience while preserve the importance of, of limited and recognizing the importance of limited in competitive play is two areas. One is the aforementioned uh, work done by Ken Nagel on the frequency of certain types of things showing up in in an average six-pack sealed. And I think we're pretty good there, but there's always room for, for tweaking and improvement. And each set goes through this process. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of work done for how, what rarities and, you know, and so on. But then the second one is... is our tournament structure at big events. Um, and we're, we're considering a couple of things. And I'm really curious what your listener community thinks of these. Like, let's, this is not determinative, so I don't want to, like, falsely imply that, hey, this is what we're doing. It's not. It's what we're considering and what we're soliciting questions about. Okay. One of them is, what if an entire open event was limited? Ooh. And one of the reasons we suggest, we, we talk about this is because the way to paradoxically the way to reduce extremes in randomness in limited in competitive events is to run more rounds of limited right because things even even out over time right like when there's three rounds of limited it's certainly possible that someone opens up three super rares and they're like ta-da i i can do no work this is not (laughs) my skill i just happen to open up all the great cards but when you have multiple rounds in a, of limited and multiple pools that you're building from, it, it starts to even this out, and the the, the high spikes and the low pits um, start to cancel each other out, and they cancel each other out for for more people, right? So fewer people are going to get in, in let's say a nine round three sealed pool event. The, the statistical outlier of someone getting three godlike pools is pretty low yeah so its skill become at limited specifically becomes much more of a dominant factor in any individual player's success so that's why we are are considering all limited 
an all-limited open. Also, that means that players who really like limited and, and really enjoy that can say, hey, I'm going to this event. I will, I will devote my scarce personal resources um, to go to this event as opposed to others where I can do the thing that I think I'm really good at or um, the thing I really like. And other players who are like, not for me, please, can say, oh, I'm going to the constructed open event. So that, that, that's currently what our thinking is. Um, but we haven't set that in stone and we haven't like, you know, announced any plans for 2020 um, OP yet. Okay. So and when you say open, are you talking about something that like WOTC itself is thinking about potentially, like not only commit anybody, putting on? Or is this like in association with a tournament series or two? Like, or a convention? Well, that delves into two. I, I don't mean that, that 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 delves into some stuff that's too early to like really discuss publicly. But when I mean open, I mean sort of like how Origins was an open and Gen Con was an open, mm, like okay. that that larger size event as opposed to like a weekly store event. Right. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that was actually a very satisfying answer for me to that. Answer. Me <laughs> to too. That. Me too. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Next question. Um, so for Titan Masters Attack, there seemed to be a really kind of large gap between Siege 2 and, um, you know, mid-April when Titan Masters Attack is released. Um, and I want to say I absolutely love the Energon edition, and I know many, many other people have too, you know, the, the plastic cards, the special foils, awesome. Um, yeah, the only thing is, is we didn't have anything new to kind of bridge the gap between seeds two and type masters attack and usually there's some standalone product that goes in between um why why such a gap between the two expansions there's there's a couple of reasons um none of them are probably super satisfying answers the first one is to be super frank our booster products are great high points and our decks have been not so hot low points um our, both Metroplex and Devastator underperformed, and I think part of it was a marketing issue. Like, particularly for Metroplex, we incorrectly, um, and we meaning I, because I run marketing, um, <laughs> uh, didn't emphasize that this was not a starter deck for beginners. Um, you could, if you had TCG experience, use it that way, but it was it was more of a deck that was, especially in the Wave One metagame, meant to be played and tweaked as a you know, semi-competitive deck. And then Devastator um, was probably a little bit on the a little bit on the weak side. He really needs double back black pips to, to, to do well, and they weren't available at that time. So we're re-looking we're re at what our standalone product mix is, how we discuss it with the community when we're promoting the new products. And so there wasn't a right time. There wasn't a right product to put in. And I didn't, I didn't want us to launch a product that would, again, kind of underperform and disappoint. Mm. And that's, there, there are plenty of people who are happy with Metroplex now, but it's taken a while. And there were some you know, people who enjoy playing Devastator, and it's take, but it's taken a while. Um, and I didn't want to just jump, jump the third one in. So what we did, uh, and I think this is the first time anybody's hearing this, is um, uh, we pulled what would have been the Devastator deck and turned it into the Devastator Titan pack. Uh, and... So the, the, you're, you're correct. There, there was going to be another deck product. But oh. um, rather than do it as a standalone product, we did it as a value-add inside of Siege 2. And that worked really well. So is it um, the Trypticon? Is it sorry, what you're talking about? I, I, sorry, what did, I meant Trypticon. 
Okay, okay. Uh, and putting Trypticon inside as the as the, the Titan pack did great. I loved it. Um, it did. It, it was it was an awesome thing that uh, was so good that we um, uh, made sure that our schedule worked so that we could put uh, Fortress Maximus inside of uh, Titan Masters Attack. I'm so stoked for Fortress Maximus. I mean, he looks awesome, awesome, awesome. So yeah, I can't wait to sleeve up a deck with him and and try it out. Brief tangent into Fortress Maximus. Sure. There was a there was a brief, well, a, maybe a little more than brief. Uh, there was a while in testing Fortress Maximus deck was um, the unbeatable deck in testing. Like no one, <laughs> no one could beat fortress maximus and part, back in the day at that point in testing um fortress maximus gained the benefit from both heads and this I, was yeah gonna i was gonna ask about that <laughs> yep and as 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 with many things in trading card games and my my long history of trading card games the scariest things in trading card games are multipliers yeah. and effectively having the two heads gave a multiplier effect to whatever the bonus was and I can't remember if we've revealed this head, but there's this particular head that when you get to use it on two successive sets of bots is just really, really difficult to break through. Um, and uh, so we tested around a lot, and ultimately we would have had to do one of two things. We would have had to rebalance heads generally so that Fortress Maximus became the baseline and heads worked with him. And that was an undesirable experience for all of the other body and head combinations. Or we could change this one rule and not have emissary or whatever the little head was on, on in, this, in your build, personal build, um, work on Fortress Max. And that was a far superior uh, design choice because all of the all of the, the type masters that are in the booster set ultimately are more important to the meta game than fixing making this one really kind of broken interaction work. So we rebalanced Fortress Maximus with the only uh, Cerebros head affecting him. And now mm. Fortress Maximus is good. And um, uh, depending on the build, including some cards that have just been revealed, like Staggering Might and some cards that um, haven't yet been revealed, um, there's at least two other cards that are that key really well into Fortress Maximus. Um, uh, he's still he's, he's he's quite good. In fact, I think he's probably the best of the Titans at this point. I was thinking so. Me too. Uh, from my evaluation, at least. So glad we're at least likely on the right track. Yeah, uh, I think he's certainly more powerful than than Trypticon by by probably a lot. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> Metroplex's deployment uh, allows for a pretty high level of skill to come in. Like when you when you deploy matters a lot in the success of Trypticon because you can cause the, your opponent to eat to, to, to you can force them to eat attacks uh, the deployed little guys and sometimes that's you know them eating a critical attack because they have to attack the little guy is very very powerful um, so you know Trypticon still has a lot of, of a very high skill ceiling I think so he's still an interesting card to play but but Fortress Max has um, a lot of raw power involved. Anyway, back to um, your previous question. And then the second reason um, is that, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Toy Fair, but um, 
there were a lot of big announcements, and we coordinate with the Hasbro Transformers team as to when our products launch. And so we wanted to make sure that we were in alignment with the things that they were doing so that all of our plans could come to fruition. And I really cannot answer questions about what those future plans are, but um, we have been, they have been great partners to us, and we've been great partners to them. Okay. I think that you're underestimating how satisfactory those answers were. <laughs> yeah, I think those were completely on point and logical and makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. So I'm going to drop in a third answer, which is <laughs> then, which is um, one of the things that we always consider is what is the right cadence of products in terms of fatigue? Um, too many products in too short a time period, even if they're excellent, and perhaps even more so if they are too excellent, can cause fatigue in players, right? Like uh, the world, the world is changing too much, too quickly. And every product line, every game has a different correct cadence. Transformers is relatively young, so we didn't want to, we'd rather more people take more time to explore the metagame of a set than try and keep rapid pace of change where some things may go unexplored and the full the full awesomeness of a set may may not be completely realized before the next thing has come out and everybody's attention turns over to the next thing. So that's something that we we continuously evaluate and it, the right answer may change over time as say the player base changes or expands and, and so on. Okay. I was actually going to uh, – you thought that maybe one of the reasons was that you were intending for the Energon Inventational card to be in Wave 5 like it ended up being and that you wanted to make sure there was enough lead time to get that ready as a promo. It's interesting because that was always a nice to have, but it was one that we thought was very unlikely to happen. But due to some excellent communication uh, uh, from Dan Arnold, a uh, very clear um, – uh, desires in, in what he was looking for um, and some really good back and forth with him between him and um, Scott and Ken and Matt Smith from the design team um, and some heroic efforts from our production staff, we were able to pull it off. Um, and so we, we made it true and I think it's just better because of it. Okay. I mean, uh, I love the card, so oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy it's here. <laughs> yeah, there was ne there was never the possibility of fitting it into the set, like into the boosters themselves, because right, right, right. the production timelines are such that 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 opportunity locked off way before. But by sh because we ship the kits, the in store play kits separately, and they're actually made later on in the production process, um, we were able to complete the card and fit it in, slip it right, like literally, like hours in. Um, to the last day of the uh, the production window for the kits and and get the job done and it was great. I, it's super appropriate for that. Awesome. Hey, uh, this is a really good time for me to point out to the listeners um, that the last day for WPN stores to sign up for an in-store play kit is Monday, March third. So um, hopefully, I, I should have asked you before when this is going live, but if it's going live uh, on or before Monday, March third. Uh, and you're not sure that your local WPN store has signed up, uh, give them a ring. Uh, ask them. It's free for stores to sign up if they're part of the WPN, um, and they'll know how to do it. It's just the same process for signing up for Magic Kits. Awesome. I think we're, we were going to try to have this out around Monday-ish, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that that seems like if we could if we give a little lead time, that'd be nice for this for some of the stores and the people who care about what they have. Makes sense. Yep. Yep. No, I just re- I just posted today. Um, so this is this is Friday that we're recording. I just posted today this morning a, a reminder message, and we get it out through our our direct to retailer channels as well. But I don't want anybody to to miss out on this. Sure. Ken, you want to ask the next question? Sure. Um, so Drew, you've stated in other interviews that the major goal of this set is providing players with a greater uh, customization options um, across like the entire game. Um, we really love what we've seen. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and maybe what the future might hold in this area? Sure. So um, sort of the genesis of, of, of the set like coalesced around Titan Masters. Um, but as, as with with Rise of the Combiners, we had combine in comparison. We had combiners, and then we had a bunch of random stuff. Um, we had a bunch of things like green pips uh, that were things that we needed to roll out into the, the the sort of core game system. That and I've spoken about that at nauseum in the past. But now that we're a year in, um, I we, we as the design, the team wanted something that was a little, felt a little bit more unifying from a mechanical point of view. Titan Masters are great uh, from an IP point of view, but you, for a number of reasons, we don't want the entire set to be Titan Masters. Um, a, it's boring. B, some players may not buy buy in or be interested in Titan Masters, so we want other things in there. And so we went through a bunch of mechanical themes, and we had had a lot of design of, of these designs um, that, like the the hybrid pips, the ones that have the fat, the uh, trait icon con- on them. Yeah, we'd had a bunch of stuff that we knew we wanted to deploy, and they all kind of had this customization element to it, sort of like extreme customization. So we just stuck it all together. And when we were, some, sometimes the amalgam style of of set design works, um, because when people are when we get players in a certain headspace, oh, I have I have a lot of cool options to think about. It helps them, even if there are a lot of choices and some of them are complex, it helps them to get into a mental state where they're like, oh, I kind of understand. They're doing this thing here and then the this thing here and oh, it all kind of gels together. And so it doesn't need to be a super tight mechanical theme, but in playtesting, it worked. Uh, it worked from our point of view and we'll see what the players actually think when they get to it, but I have high hopes. Awesome. I mean, we do too. We also, uh, I personally am very excited with the stuff we've seen so far. So I'm looking forward to the rest of it. I know a lot of it's been common, which has been uh, kind of surprising to me. Um, yeah. Can we can I dive into that? Yep. Yeah. Please go ahead. So I think a great example of this is Gears, who uh, was recently uh, revealed. He was released today, actually. Yep. Um, we want to make sure that there are. Uh, this is going back to the things that appear um, in frequency. Some of it's limited, some of it's reconstructed, but we definitely want certain things to show up more commonly. And in constructed, getting rid of uh, annoying upgrades is pretty common. Like there are many tools to do it and you can play those tools. And if you want to get rid of an upgrade, you can. Um, In limited, that's not always the case. And uh, we wanted a character card that dealt with uh, upgrades pretty well. Uh, but we didn't just want to do something like flip this card, 
KO and up, or scrap and upgrade. That didn't seem great. So that was kind of the genesis of Gears and why he's at common. And there, there are some more effects in the set, some of which you haven't seen yet, that are at lower rarities um, that look kind of uh, – that are – Take things that you need in a trading card game, like dealing with a certain card type, and provide a more skill-testing way for to implement that. Like the choices that Gears provides, just himself, and the additional choice to run Sabotage or not, um, really benef- is of benefit to players who uh, play at a higher skill level. Um, there's sort of the surface interaction. Uh, with gears, just like, hey, move this armor off that guy that I'm attacking. But <laughs> right? Like, we, we always want there to be some obvious things that you do here. But then there are also a whole bunch of really interesting things that you can do when you're starting to, to, to move around where an opponent's um, equipment is. Sorry, equipment. Upgrades. Um, and so you'll see that as a theme in this set as well. Okay, uh, makes a lot of sense to us. So speaking of themes about the set and things that it might impact, uh, the question on I think a lot of people's minds is, and I'm not sure you can talk about this, but will there be a change in how sideboarding works given how heads and head ma- sorry heads and bodies and titan masters uh, plus the, the existence of stratagems um, being so much more customizable and so many more considerations for a character lineup or a star lineup? So there will be an update to the the global rules for the game. Um, and, and just like with any other set that will come out be, uh, after the full set is previewed, uh, one, just tangent, one of the things that didn't work super well is the weekly rules roundups. Not because it was bad that we had a way for to intake questions and a way to get them out, but the frequency was, is, is of, of them is such that there's a lot of information that's pretty critical that's scattered. Mm. So, right, like, is it in this rules weekly rules update? Roundup, or is it the one three weeks ago? I, I don't remember. Um, and many times, I I literally don't remember. Uh, <laughs> Me neither. We had them printed out and brought to our LGS so that we had them like on hand. We wanted to scour through them for a ruling. Right. So we're, we're going to hold off on rules roundups until after the full set is spoiled and then compress them into the sort of month-long-ish period between set spoiled, set releases. And that way there's a lot more focus on fewer documents to figure out. And then the global rules update will happen be- around that time period as well. Um, okay. I don't want to misspeak, and I don't have the documentation in front of me. Uh, I am reasonably certain oh, – man, it's always risky when I do stuff. <laughs> Go I, right am ahead. Re- I am reasonably certain that bodies and heads follow the rules for characters. Okay. Um, as in it's a character, whether it's a head or a body and you can swap a character in and out of your sideboard. Um, Heads always have to have bodies, and bodies always have to have heads. So if you have a head in your sideboard, you have to swap it with the one in play, and you can't just put your head in your sideboard and stick it into play, right? Like So all the rules taken are uh, are followed. Um, I am also reasonably certain it is not you get a body and a head counting as, quote, a character. Like, when the, side, when the sideboard, every individual piece of, of, of cardboard is, is an individual character card there. Okay. As for stratagems, I'm also reasonably certain that they are just star-cost cards. So, um, oh. if, you, if you have gears in, in part of your starting team, you can put 
uh, sabotage in the sideboard and then following the normal sideboarding rules. And so you could sideboard uh, sabotage in, provided that when you begin the game, your start cost is legal. So that would mean you'd have to effectively what you'd be doing is siding in uh, a one star stratagem and a zero star battle card and taking out a one star battle card. Okay. Makes sense. It yeah. makes sense to me. Um, um, I appreciate, even though I know this isn't this isn't the the Bible on how things work, but I appreciate some clarification because <laughs> if there is some some uh, like you said, it's a very mechanically dense set with the amalgam and everything like that. So, um, but uh, moving on from that, um, speaking about more about Titan Masters, it's I know you guys are, it's featuring like forty three characters we haven't seen before, like yep. all the different stuff. Um, that's a pretty huge number, given that we've had so many repeats so far. And I was wondering, uh, or we were wondering, whether or not it was an attempt on you, on the behalf of the de- design at large, to break the mold of like fan anticipation, always seeing a required returning cast of sorts. So this this is a, a super complex question because Transformers is a very large brand with m- many moving parts, and the various moving parts talk to one another. So. Uh, we decided with the Hasbro brand team and Hasbro toy team for Transformers that that focusing on Siege for a couple of sets was was really important for us as the larger Transformers brand. Um, and in, when we're doing sets like that, uh, making sure that the the story that is Siege is true across all the brands means that there are certain characters that have to show up. And they should show up. Like, I wouldn't want to not have Sideswipe in the set. Sure. Um, and one of the things that we get to do that's really cool as the trading card game is we get to sort of extend the universe a little bit. And so that's why we got to do characters who were not part of the Siege toy line, uh, but do them in sort of Siege forms. Uh, a particular favorite is Sunrunner, who get, you know, we got to, you know, we get to do a little bit of facelift on, on alt mode so that it became more Cybertronian, et cetera, et cetera. But what it did mean is that a lot of the slots were for, for characters in the set were well decided upon before we even got to the point of, hey, who else could we bring into the Siege universe and have those discussions with our partners back at the Transformers team. But with the throwback set, we have a lot more latitude. And I think I mentioned in the past, we're going, you can expect that you'll see alternate us alternate between throwback sets like Rise of the Combiners and Tight Master's Attack with sets that are tied into the current toy and storyline, um, like Siege. And so you will, you, you will likely see us get more characters into throwback sets for two reasons. I'm sorry, more new characters who haven't appeared yet. And right. the first is that as we take a toy gimmick and sort of blow it out into a full booster set like we did with Combiners and titan masters that unlocks a whole bunch of characters who only appeared with that mechanic toy mechanic um there's a whole bunch of characters who are only titan masters right right right, right. makes sense at least, at least in generations so titan masters opened up an enormous number of characters and some of them are heads right and so for when we say 43 new characters some some fans are rightly going to say but how many of those are heads <laughs> they're right but we're also right because Stylor is not going to get in the game otherwise fair um, to, to speak of a head who has a notable personality that has engendered a lot of love from a, a certain part of the fan community because man he's 
he's him. There's no one else like Styler in Transformers. <laughs> um, but the other thing that it lets us do is go and find a whole bunch of characters who just haven't, for some reason or another, made it into the plans, like Gears. Um, Braun. Great examples. Um, and there's several more yet. Uh, actually, I mean, there's a lot more given that you know who one of the three returning characters is. I mean, it's two slots. There's a lot, a bunch of good guesses, which so that there's a whole bunch of characters that you haven't seen yet. Some of them are going to be Titan Masters, and some of them are us putting in characters who really should have been in the trading card game. But this is the first opportune moment for it. Gotcha. Why well, don't I'm hoping it is? Awesome. Um, well, Titan Masters Attack is dripping with flavor. I'm a huge, huge Transformers fan. I'm deep, deep, deep in the lore. Um, I'm looking at battle cards like uh, Cammy and Toughness. That's awesome because Windblade is not from Cybertron. She's from Caminus. You know, Master of Metallicato. Um, obviously, you know, Bludgeon's uh, martial art, so to speak. And some of the character cards like Trax, you know, getting that where he's a plane also because the original toy could do that. Um, some really cool, cool uh, deep cuts into the Transformers lore. Will be will we be seeing even more of these flavorful cards in this expansion? No, oh, yes, this set is just chock full of it. Matt Matt Smith and I, so Matt Smith and I sort of jointly do the um, the creative work, uh, like the this kind of like writing and choices. Mm-hmm. Um, as Shanna Duncan, the art director, is also a giant Transformers fan, and she works with us to implement them. Um, so some of my favorite things are the fact that Gears of Stratagem Sabotage we did as a Decepticon card as a an homage to um, the episode of the G1 cartoon where he was a Decepticon. Uh, uh, in retrospect, possibly a little bit too confusing. Um, <laughs> I love it. But, <laughs> uh, but that, that one tickled us. Um, and you know there there's some other subtle things that are very very deep cuts like we've talked I think I've talked a bunch enough, enough already about why Arcana is a Decepticon, um, but yet we're not done yet. Um, and Matt Matt is is a um, like he's literally a Transformers professional expert uh, or Transformers expert professional, um, and hmm. so uh, his knowledge is of Transformers in. All of its medium media is incomparable. Um, so he was responsible for a lot of the things that you know you just noted. There are a lot of the deep cuts, um, calling, um, uh, my mind my mind just blanked on the character name. Uh, Autobot, <laughs> Autobot Triple Changer, who was at one point the leader of the Wreckers. Uh, car. Thank you. That was embarrassing. Uh, That's okay. We can edit that out if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Let let people know. Um, (laughs) For your stratagem being named, um, uh, I've got better things to do than die. I mean, probably. Oh, I loved that. Uh, As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, that just, it was so satisfying to read. Right? Like, that is something that, that, like, a mid core fan. So you know, not not a superficial fan of Transformers, and I, I don't mean superficial like pejoratively. I just mean someone who has like, oh yeah, I like Transformers, and I know like main characters, and then the super hardcore fan who's like, I instantly know why Arcana is a Decepticon. Um, sort of like the midcore fan, like that's the kind of thing that rewards that that 
that fan as well because they're like, oh man, I got that. I remember that. Um, and we have a lot of those. Um, and then there's some other cool stuff that we've done that I'm, I'm really happy with, like the bat, the uh, secret action hull down, um, mm-hmm. which is that is an actual reworld tank tactic. Like it's not made up. That is. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, that is that is the tactic where tank where a tank will position itself behind cover so that the body of the tank is protected and only the hull the hull is and the turret of the tank is peeking out over so it can shoot things and it has additional protection for its hull which is tends to be has you know more vulnerable than the the heavy armor on the turret Huh. So we've snuck a bunch of those things in too, and so when I posted that card, there were a bunch of people who had obviously either were were, were fans of of um, military history or had had professional military experience. Were like, I, that's a tank tactic. I, I see why this works. This is top down design for my real life stuff, and I love it. So <laughs> that was really satisfying to see that work. Um, this set is was a blast to work on from an IP point of view. It sounds like it. Awesome. Cool. Did Ken uh, come up with that holdown uh, thing? Because didn't he nope, used to work that, on ta- on takes or something? Nope that was that was me. Ken uh, Ken Nagel was an engineer, um, a computer engineer who worked on the systems for M1 Abrams tanks. Wow. Oh. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> Ken, I don't know how you knew that. Uh, another podcast, I think. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, Windsweeper is our first character to have a vehicle tag in both modes. Yep. Um, this is something that I myself and probably everybody has wanted for a long time. Um, not on every character, you know, of course, uh, but on some for sure. Um, can you expand a little bit on that decision and is it something that we might see again so i'll second question first okay we're we're testing it with this one one deployment of this one instance uh and we'll see how it goes Uh, windsweeper is why we chose windsweeper uh we knew we needed or wanted a heavy plane tribal character who did some really interesting things and it wasn't just like regular oh i just i i give buff bonuses um and the design for windsweeper also sort of existed that the the damage moving mechanics and it had this enormous problem where the the lord that grants the ability we really needed to be he needs to be a plane in both modes um and we could have like rejiggered this around and I can't remember who it was. I'm going to guess it was Scott Van Essen said, why don't we just test this and see what happens? And so we printed it with plane in both modes. We'll see how the, the community reacts. Um, Windsweeper is an interesting character from an IP point of view to do it because uh, like several of the, the plane um, uh, characters of his ilk, the way his wings are deployed in bot mode, make it look like he has wings so he could be flying. So there's... Eh, Maybe, okay. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm getting loosey-goosey here. Um, <laughs> I probably am. But but really, this is a mechanical thing that we're going to test, and we'll see how it works. Okay. Really interesting to know. Really interesting to know. 
Uh, you um, guys sound like you like it. I love I mean, it. Kent and Kai, in particular, were ecstatic about this card. Yes, I think it's so cool. I just, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, you know, confused by it. I don't know, like, what to do with it. So, oh man, there's so much that you can do with it. Like, right. Kai and I have been having like a, our own personal little party uh, with Windsweeper. I mean, it's it's been fun already. Yeah. Oh, I, if I, I remember, <laughs> if I remember my testing correctly, Windsweeper. Um, it is very good when used correctly and kind of weak otherwise. Okay. So I, like, like it, it's a very focused card and it needs, it, it's less of, I just tossed this into a plane deck and now all my planes are better. And it was like, you need a combination of team and deck that takes advantage of his ability to, to move damage. Um, and saturation borrowing is probably one of the more powerful stratagems when you're within a deck that really can play it to its advantage. I absolutely love it. Um, just in a little bit of proxy testing, I love the fact, just what you said, you don't just drop it into a deck and your deck is better. It It's very skill-focused, which I love, and I think it really rewards that. Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate it. Right. Like So, so one tactic that's just probably generally applicable is if you can spread enemy damage around your characters right but so no one dies unless you have a deck that says keep this attack character getting attacked a lot because this character is very good at defending against damage mm -hmm. um and this this one wants because planes are a little bit more fragile in general than say tanks or, or trucks um you really want to be managing damage flow very very carefully in a lot of ways it's interesting because there was another plane deck that also asked for that and that was the the aerial bots which also was asking for for damage flow and had tools to do to to deal with that in a different completely different way sure 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 right with the brave plane and the tough two plane and yeah exactly it's like okay i'm you know and and that sort of maneuver what, what our thoughts are here is in some ways controlling how damage comes in um to your characters for planes is is a sort of minor sub theme that we we see as their sort of planes maneuverability being used to, to you know to get the plane where plane, the right plane in the right place interesting I, I had never thought about that like from a flavor point of view at least um Speaking of super rares, like Windsweeper, um, uh, you guys announced that there's going to be six super rares in this set, in this wave. Correct. And you've seen two of them. Yes. Yes, we have. Um, and I, I also noticed that like you guys announced that the distribution of those cards is going to be a little bit different, a little, a little higher. So there's That's not going to awesome. be a chase. Yep. Um, so I was wondering if you can talk us through kind of like the thought process behind both, one, increasing the number of them, and two... Um, increasing the number of them in circulation. Sure. We have, uh, we don't literally, but it's almost like we have regular viewing parties for watching people do box openings. Um, and it's something that's pretty critical to us as stewards of a brand, whether we're designers or, or brand managers or marketers, is watching how people react when they're on camera opening our product. And um, the, the biggest moment of joy and, and happiness was opening a super rare. And it didn't really matter we noticed whether the super rare was an insanely immediately competitive, excuse me, super rare, or whether it was a super rare who was, who was on the lower end of competitiveness. People love opening super rares. It's true. Absolutely. 
It's like winning a lottery. A little bit. And, and we get to do cool things on super rares. Like Windsweeper's ability, the, the sort of complexity of Windsweeper is specifically on a super rare card. Um, because we don't want that card to show up and limited a lot because it's kind of useless without a bunch of other planes. Um, we don't want, like, et cetera, et cetera. It's a complex, it's a high skill level card. Um, so we get to do interesting things on super rares, even if they're not um, uh, immediately like, oh, this is now the new competitive meta, this guy. So um, we wanted to get more super rares into, into people's hands and about once per box. Mm-hmm. Um, and note that this is an approximate, right? Like this is one per 30 packs is the average over many, many packs right. that we produce. Um, and with, uh, without going into super detail, sometimes people are going to open a few couple of super rares per, per box because that's how they clump. And sometimes they, they, there may be an unlucky box. But in general, um, they are more frequent now. And that also gave us the opportunity to go up in the number of super rares. So overall, what what is now a super rare is a little bit more wiggle room. We don't have to be as precious as to which characters get get the super rare status, because from a from a macro point of view, um, the change in in number of packs is pretty big. But from a micro point of view, it it feels better, but they're still pretty rare. Um, sure. And I mean, so we don't have to really change to how we treat what characters and what mechanics go on a super rare from the things we've done in the past. So the super rare cards themselves are still going to look roughly the same as they super rares from the past. It's just now you get an extra two and you open up any individual, any, any super rare a little bit more frequently. That makes sense. So let's say I'm going to take us on a small tangent. I promise we'll be back to the normal course of things. But I have a personal affinity for Captain Jetfire from Wave 4. Let's yep. say, hypothetically, that the, the the kind of idea, the larger vision behind super rares and what, what, what constitutes super rare and how often you want things to show up in limited, had that been applied retroactively to Wave 4, do you think that, say, something like Captain Jetfire would have been uh, a super rare? Yes, absolutely. Because there's another thing that's factoring into sets that tie into uh, toy lines, and that's the prominence of the character. Um, and... Uh, Captain Jetfire was the largest non-Titan toy in the line, right? Mm-hmm. And had a ton of marketing focus around him, and we got to do cool things with him. So it was super appropriate for that particular version of Jetfire at that point in time to be a super rare. Interesting, because I know I really love looking at mine that I have at home, my toy, personally. So I would have loved to see it, but, you know, we can't win them all. Uh, you know, at other times, Jetfire Jetfire was was not a super rare in his first incarnation in the trading card game. So characters will move around in rarity. I think that there's um, there are very few characters that I would say with certainty would always appear at one rarity. In fact, that's probably wrong um, to do. There's offhand Nemesis Prime might only show up at super rare. Okay. Um, like there's there's some there's there's a couple of weirder characters uh, that might only show up at super rare, but I we have we have very few characters that were like oh this guy's always common or this guy this character is always rare. That makes sense. Unless you I mean like I can't I can't envision any version of if they ever managed to incorporate a unicorn into the game I cannot envision him anywhere lower than like super rare personally. Uh yes and although although I will say I doubt that that unicorn would show up as a. a 
character-sized card. Fair enough. <laughs> exactly. Booster packs. Maybe maybe he's a play mat. <laughs> <laughs> it would certainly need to be you know as big and imposing as actual Unicron is. Right, and especially now that there's that awesome has repulsed Unicron, like they really have set the bar for Unicrons. I, I ordered two of those. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I would love to see a Unicron standalone product at some point where it's like a raid kind of thing. One person is Unicron and multiple people are playing their decks trying to beat him. Um, yeah. There's no there's no final Unicron product. It's not like I'm hiding something. But we have tested what that would look like. And we think we can make raid, raid work. Awesome. Well, I would love to see what that looks like. I know it's probably in the far future, so we don't need to get ahead of ourselves. Um, but speaking of getting ahead of ourselves, um, so one of the things that we're really curious about, given that we're kind of like competitive-focused players, um, is that we're really super hype on organized play. Um, so we were wanting what you can say, if you can say much, uh, about what we can expect from organized play in 2020. Uh, I know the different PAX events are hosting events. Uh, Origins and Gen Con are very likely going to look similar to last year, and then probably unplugged, I don't know, necessarily. Um, but is there anything else like on the calendar outside of those venues, like other open series or um, any kind of official schedule in the works? We're a little early to talk about that. One thing yeah. I will say is that our organized play last year worked really nicely as, as sort of like a summer through fall with a capstone event. So as you can imagine from the timing, it's a little bit early to talk about that. Sure, sure. Makes sense. I, I can't help but fish, though, because it's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's how I like to engage the game, so I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I couldn't I, stop myself. I have seen many a lure in my time dangled in front of me, and it was shiny. <laughs> and it looked really, really like I should just bite down and chomp into that. And then, nope, no worries. Okay. Uh, what do you, well, let me throw that back to you. What would you guys want to see? Oh, man. I would love to see... Um, more Energon Invitational qualifiers, um, even if it was just one more. Um, and, and our team, we were going to go to Origins, we're going to go to Gen Con, we're going to go to EI, um, all that good stuff, but it would be cool to have, like, another one. Um, and you mean, the, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Big open event. Do you mean, like, an open? Yes. Yeah, like yeah, an like an style. open, like, I, like, when you had suggested a limited open, like, I would love to see a limited open in addition to what we already have, but not replacing it. Um, I hear you. I hear you. Or, or maybe they're both going on, you know, simultaneously at the same event. Um, and both, you know, are ways to qualify for uh, the Energon Invitational. Some, something sort of like that would be fantastic. Um, and... As soon as we can get the schedule, it would be great because uh, last year I had to miss EI, even though I qualified at Origins because my wife and I had booked a cruise already. And it was like very frustrating uh, for me as someone who wants to travel for the game and support it and, you know, be an advocate for it as well. Um, I was like, now I have to miss the world championship. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. As much ahead of time notice, especially for people that are planning their their whole year, like if I'm going to be flying across the country to these different events, like the the dates and when we get them are like really important. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of moving parts of that kind of stuff too. Oh though. yeah, I'm sure. Like 
I'm sure you guys get it all out as fast as you can. Like, <laughs> I no, just want to I, say that. We, I hear you. Um, you, you were not the only one that was in that boat. And I was actually sad that I would, didn't get to meet you in person at the, uh, at the, the Energon Invitational. But you know, I, real, real, real world and real life conflicts. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, heard and understood. Okay. Cool. Um, in addition to that, and since can't you wait in, I figure I might take a stab at this as well. Um, we saw. Um, uh, kind of like third-party participation as far as like tournament organization goes uh, from like pro play games in the last year and it kind of started like later in later in the organized play series kind of like late fall you know yep um that series of events was really fun uh i really enjoyed playing in the uh, invitational this last january and um also in the open in dallas i didn't get a chance to go to the vegas one or the columbus one um but i know those were streamed events and uh I imagine, like, with some more lead-in time for something like that, it could also be pretty successful. But uh, generally speaking, like, I would love to see um, continued, right, like, uh, like collaboration between third-party tournament organizers and uh, kind of like the organized play team and in, in continuing those types of events. Great. Um, I thought I've heard a lot of good things from players who attended uh, PPG's events, and the uh, PPG was a, a great bunch to work with. So. Again, no announcements, but um, I was very happy with the way that worked out. Awesome. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Let's see. Uh, um, I, unfortunately, am coming up on another meeting. That's fine. Uh, we have one more question for you that's a very important one. Shoot, that sounds perfect. Okay. Do you have any questions for us outside what you already asked us? Uh I think in light of the characters that have been spoiled now, it's appropriate to start asking the question I asked a lot during wave the end of Wave 1, which was, which characters are still not in the game that you would love to see? Oh, I know mine. I, Drift. I love Drift. Once Deadlock, you know, switches over and gets the, like, Autobot conversion, I, I love that guy. Got it. That's mine. For for me, uh, Scorponok, I I mean, he is probably my favorite character. You um, must be a very happy person right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I just absolutely fell in love with him as a character, not just because the toy was cool when I was a kid, um, but also like when Simon Furman was writing him as a character, you know, issues fifty six through eighty. I felt like he had more depth than any other character um, and how he was kind of starting to lean towards the good side of things and actually becomes friends with Optimus Prime um, as they unite to battle Unicron together, um, despite his own army, you know, kind of being like, we're not okay with this. But then they kind of come around too uh, through his leadership. Yeah, he's just so cool. I'm. I really would love to see him as a standalone Titan set or in a box or whatever. Like all the suggestions. <laughs> and, and for him to be competitive, like truly competitive too, um, would just make my day. <laughs> Got it. Heard you. Um... All right. Uh, until that day where he shows up in the trading card game, I hope you uh, are able to get your hands on and enjoy the uh, the new Scorpion toy. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
All right. Uh, well, that ought to do it for episode two. A huge thanks to you, Drew, for joining us today. Uh, thanks to everyone out there listening. And if you find the input and information here valuable, you can find more strategy, analysis, tournament reports, and more like it at transformyourgame.net. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube video. Uh, remember to comment any questions you want us to answer in the next episode. And until next time, clear eyes, flip bots, can't lose.